0: podcast, we have Jason Whiting. Jason is a professor and the program director in the Marriage and Family Therapy program at BYU. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist. He's also the author of Love Me True and Overcoming the Surprising Ways We Deceive in Relationships. His research is centered around unhealthy relationships. Usually we see you know how to be successful, but what I've loved about Jason's research is it's how to be unsuccessful. Here's what not to do in relationships. Over the course of the podcast, we'll go through dating and courting, your first year in marriage, unhealthy and healthy relationships, and I enjoyed sitting down with Jason. So I hope you guys enjoy it too. Thanks for listening. Hey, Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really, really excited to get into this, especially like with being having a sales background. I've just noticed the times that I did really well in work were times that my relationship was going really well. And when it wasn't, it could just, man, I was bringing a lot of baggage or bad energy. And so relationships just play such a massive part of our life. And so I'm really excited to get into all this stuff today. Sure. Yeah, it's important stuff. So I wanted to kind of start in with dating, courting, then get into marriage and just unhealthy and healthy relationships. But, I mean, we both live in Utah County. Huh. And um, I want to just jump into maybe like the dating timeline. It would... I would guess that if the dating or courting process is sped up, that that probably could lead to problems. But I want to hear from you on that. Is, is that a general statement
1: that you see is true or no? Yes. Generally, that's probably true. In other words, like if somebody's moving too fast, there's a couple of problems that might happen. One is you really do need to get to know somebody well. If you're going to get serious with somebody, if you're talking dating, courtship, marriage, living together, that kind of stuff, you want to know that person and how they handle a whole variety of situations because if you don't, you're in for some unpleasant surprises at times. And 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 the other thing that can happen is sometimes people who are the the kind of jealous, controlling, possessive type are the kind who are going to push to move fast, if that makes really? sense. Okay. So they will say, I love you so much. I can't stand to be without you. We've got to get married. You know, this is just the best thing in the world. I know this is right. And so there'll be this pressure. And that then later can translate into unhealthy stuff like, you know, I, I it really bothers me when you're out with other people or I don't like you working at that job. So, so anyway, there can be some red flags yeah. associated with moving too fast on a number of fronts. And part of that could be you just didn't have time to
0: discuss how you feel about different subjects. Right. And then you're already married and now you're discussing those for the first time or yep. whatever. But I think I heard you say Unhealthy relationships are often
1: categorized by moving fast. Well, it's one of the aspects, but, one, but yeah. yes, it, it, a particular type of unhealthy relationship, the kind that's like the possessive, jealousy. Like you were describing. Right. Yeah, for sure. It can be a, a, there can be pressure to be intense and fast quickly.
0: Okay. Sometimes in work, uh, we'll talk about like red hat, blue hat. So if everybody's just agreeing on the same thing, I'm like, hey, somebody put on the different hat and let's argue the other side, even if you don't believe it, just to make sure we're covering our blind spots. So one thing I want to push back on a little bit, not necessarily that I believe it, but I just want to get your thoughts is sometimes you hear like, you got to get to know each other in different situations and all these things and see that. But it's been so fascinating now, like I'm in my 30s, we've been married for 15 years. Since a lot of the people that we work with are in their 20s, they'll ask like, what is important? Like, what should I be looking for in my partner? And, And sometimes they look more through a hobbies paradigm like I like to rock climb so I need to find a girl that can rock climb or you know it could be she needs to like to cook or this or that and like over time and I get that because I used to have some of those things too or she's got to look a certain way or whatever but now like I really think that as long as they're willing to be coachable and teachable and they're willing to grow like that's what I think kind of matters and I don't know if that's wrong or right but that's kind of like where I've arrived but I want to see what you think about that.
1: Yeah, I think you're right that sometimes people focus on surface stuff at first. They say, Well, we both love to go mountain biking, so that's just what we do when we bond. And that's fine, that's great. Or we both love movies or we feel the same politically or whatever. Um, or we just, you know, have the hots for each other where there's all this physical attraction. And again, those are those are relevant, but they're not the they're probably not the deeper issues. And you talked about this idea of being open to learning. And that's pretty key in a relationship. Because um, if you're going to run into bumps in relationships, right, people have differences. And so one of the things that happens sometimes when um, people are dating is they don't see some of those differences come up until it gets more serious. Like even into marriage, when the differences come up in how they spend money, how they raise their kids, how they navigate sex or stuff like that, where there's always just going to be differences. People are just different people. Yeah. So then the question comes up. Can they each talk through those in a civil, mature way? And you talked about like being coachable. Um, Coaching's maybe not the right metaphor. In in other words, it might be more just like, can I hear feedback from my spouse? Can I, can I hear her when she says, "Yeah, that really bothered me when you said that? Or that bothered me when you left this thing on the floor and I had just cleaned up or it hurt my feeling, you know. Can I can I hear that and talk it through and say I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. That that's helpful feedback for me. Yeah. Or do I get defensive and I say, well, you're you're not so great either, or you you think you know you always have to have your way. Or why is it, why do you have to be so selfish? If I get defensive and aggressive and attacking while dealing with differences, that's an important issue. Like yes. how one handles yeah. conflict and differences. And I wasn't
0: using uh, coachable meaning one spouse coaching the other. I just meant it in a way of like, hey, if you go out to this seminar and you learn best practices on relationship skills or uh, financial skills or parenting skills, like you're just not stuck that you can continue to learn various sources. And to me, I know my relationship, that's just been the biggest thing is, because I look at what I knew when I was 20 and my interests and my hobbies and views on life, completely different than when I was 30. Totally. And I'm sure it's going to be completely different when I'm 40 and then even evolve again. And so I'm like, man, I don't know if this is a dark thought, but I'm like, it's actually surprising that so many people stay married (laughs) because when you're like your twenties, mid twenties, whenever people get married, it's like, you're going to change so much as humans over the years. I'm like, it's actually really remarkable. Yeah. And so what I take from that is like the ability to grow and evolve and learn. There's a really, um impactful book that I had in my life called Mindset by Carol Dweck. And it talks about fixed versus growth mindset. And I'm like, man, if somebody can just have a growth mindset, like I really think that's like one of the biggest things in a relationship. But
1: anyways, that's why I want to bring it up. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Couples who are both looking to learn and to grow, they are going to learn and grow from each other because you just bump up against that stuff. You might realize, oh, I didn't realize I have this kind of quirk about I'm not good at sharing food or I, you know, think that I always have to be this way. And then you bump up against the spouse who's like, no, we celebrate Christmas this way. And you celebrate, you know, it's like, those are opportunities to grow. It's like, yeah. um, a chance to stretch a little bit. And you're right that you continue to grow if you're open to it throughout life. I was just talking to a couple the other day, they got married young and it was during COVID and they, you know, they, They right away were stuck in their apartment together as a newlywed couple. They weren't doing the fun things that they had done when they were dating, like outdoorsy stuff. Yeah. And then they started coming up into all these problems. And one of the things happened with the husband. He's like, man, I used to be hanging out with my friends and having fun. And now I'm just here, this married guy. And that caused some challenges, some conflict. He would get defensive. He'd get angry. He didn't like being told that he should pick up after himself. And now a couple of years into it, he's realizing, I've got to change to this more growth mindset. I've got to say, look, I'm a man now. I'm not a teenager. I've got to be responsible. I've got to be open to meeting my wife's needs. I've got to put my dishes away when I do, you know, things like that, that he's saying, that's an adjustment. And that's what I said to these guys. I said, you guys are, a lot of people keep changing a lot from, you know, in their low 20s. You guys are just going to have to do that together together sure in a marriage and figure that out together where some people would still be saying, Hey, I'm 23, 24. I'm out working or I'm going on a study abroad and I'm figuring out who I am. You guys are doing that together. And so you have to figure out how do we help each other rather than take it out on each other kind of thing.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I'm like, at least how I felt, I'm like, I didn't even know who I was yet. Sure. Like I'd only been out of high school and like, you haven't worked a lot of jobs. You haven't lived a lot of places. You haven't I don't know. It's just so interesting, you know, Yep. you're learning who you are. And so I think the the characteristics are, are what can be so powerful moving forward versus like your interests or current views or different things. Um, what do you think about, um, your heart versus your mind in making a decision on a partner?
1: Yeah. I talk about this a little bit in some things that I've written in my book, but we have these different sides of ourselves. We have our emotions, our intuitive side, our heart. You know, it might be like I'm just really into this person. I really find myself wanting to come back and hang out with this person. That's kind of how it was actually when I was dating my wife. I, I couldn't really figure out logically what was clicking, but I knew that I just kept wanting to go back and hang out. Yeah. And so there's that side, and that's important and that's powerful. But then there's the mind, which is the logical and the the, the thinking through. Do we have the right things in common? Do we do we see the world the same way? Do we have the kinds of attributes? You know, you're talking about um, the, the you know, things like kindness or patience, yeah, you know, kind of things that help yeah. helps immaturity, the kind of thing that, that helps people to sort through differences. And so you have to balance both of those because um, some people rush in; they're just like, "Wow, I'm head over heels, and it's all great," and only later they find out like we don't even agree on whether we want to have kids or whether we want to do these kind of things or he or she handles this in a way that I'm really uncomfortable with. Like, so that's the kind of balance going back and forth between, you know, being smart about it, but also, yeah, going with some intuition and the brain and the body have kind of these algorithms that we aren't even really aware of that help us decide whether we, we click and we're attracted to somebody, whether there's chemistry, we use words like that. And those are all relevant. But again, then there has to be just the common sense aspect of a relationship.
0: So if somebody you knew was getting ready to maybe be engaged and they're like, I just, I'm really infatuated. I'm really obsessed with this person. Like, what type of things are you saying then back to that person?
1: Well, I'd ask them questions about how fast they're moving, but okay. you know, like we talked about earlier, um, it, does this, Can the, can each of you talk through an issue to completion without getting... Know, defensive or upset, and that's tricky sometimes right. you know, because people are sensitive and um, we all have those differences and we all have our own little issues that we get um, triggered by. Uh, so I would ask about have you spent enough time to know how they handle stress? Have you talked about their life goals? Have you gotten to know them and their family and how they treat them and others? Um, I, those kinds of things to help me know whether that person... Whether that couple has had the the time to spend on these things and have have, have uh, experienced these different venues, you know, these different areas right. where they've, you know, talked through um, just the important stuff in life. Well, let let's go deeper on one of those
0: because, again, back to the growth mindsets, like anything can be learned, right? And how would you draw the line between? I would guess that a lot of people in their twenties, like talking through a problem, like you just said. They might be horrible at it because they've never lived with somebody. Yeah. They've never dated somebody for a long period of time where they've had to work through like financial issues or talk about sex for the first time or talk about substance abuse or whatever. Right. Yeah. And so I could see somebody being like, yeah, we suck at it. But do they suck at it because they've never done it? Yeah. Or is it the chemistry or like how could you differentiate there?
1: Yeah, and if they if they suck at it, if they're bad, then are they willing to reach out and get some help? Are they willing to go read a book on marriage? Are they willing yeah. to go to like a premarital class? Kind of the growth. Yeah, That's exactly. There's there's a ton of resources. There are good premarital classes out there. For example, you can get them at, at BYU. You can go to therapy. You can read a book, and and you're right. It's common. A lot of people. I was I was just talking to a couple yesterday, and they I was asking them about their families that they came from. They've had some marital issues, some struggles. And I said, tell me about each of the way your parents handled things. And it, pretty quickly it became aware that they didn't have good examples. One was just like, my parents just yelled at each other, and I never saw them be affectionate. That's a tough That's a tough model to start with. For sure. And then, so if you didn't get that as an example, if that's not your default, how are you going to learn that? Can you help each other learn that? Can you go you know, reach out for resources? Can you listen to some podcasts and work on it? Because when you get stressed, you're probably going to, go to that angry immature place if that's what you've seen. Yeah, I would guess most people probably mimic what they saw growing up. It's easy to do it. Not everybody does it. And some people kind of consciously say, "Man, I'm never going to be like my dad was or my mom oh, yeah. was." But then what do they do instead? And sometimes they've figured it out, but sometimes they haven't. And like I said, there's uh, there are resources, there's classes at, you know, at BYU, there's classes at other universities and uh there's ways to learn, just like there is with any skill. But again, the question is, are you willing yeah. to learn it? Or do you just double down and say, well, this is how I am and I'm not changing? Because that does not lead to healthy relationships.
0: One of the questions that I was excited to ask you about is the topic of uh, just getting your family and close friends input on the relationship. Mm. And the reason why I think this is a fascinating question is because I look back at my time when I was dating and pretty much at any blind date I ever got set up on was just horrible i'm like i'm never doing this you know like friends or family they just maybe friends knew a little bit more but but i will say almost every relationship that i personally know where there's been divorced or really bad breakup you talk to the family or friends and they're like we knew it we could have told them there was all these red flags that just weren't good together it's like man i my observation in my life personally has been like Family and close friends have been really accurate on identifying a problematic relationship, but I don't know if they've ever been that good mm-hmm. at like creating what they want. But what's your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, it's a real tricky one because I think you're right that a lot of outsiders or people that are close to people in unhealthy relationships see it and they're concerned, right? I, you get those calls where like, what do I do? When my daughter's in this relationship with this guy and he's controlling and he doesn't let her work and he always wants to know where she is and you know, sees those red flags, but If you try to pressure somebody and tell them, you got to get out of there, that often doesn't pushes the other way sometimes. It it, it can. And then the other person, the controlling person might be like, yeah, see your family. And they isolate the family. And yeah, it's one of the common techniques. So better to ask good questions and say, look, I'm seeing some things that I'm having a hard time with. Help me understand, you know, what's going on there? How are you feeling? Um, I've been involved in some research projects where we've talked to couples who've been in like even unhealthy or abusive relationships. And, and and we you know we ask them, what helps you to change? And often it wasn't helpful to go to friends, family, or even ecclesiastical leaders or doctors because they would just say, oh, you got to get out of there. That's not usually that helpful because they already know there's some concerns, but there's just so many of these other either love is blind kind of things and it's just so heady and exciting or it's harder to get out of these things than you think it is. And this person's gonna make it difficult. So anyway, all I am saying is it's easy for an outsider to kind of say, "Oh I see the problems. It's harder to then be helpful and know what to do about it.
0: yeah, something that's kind of interesting is I'm not an avid hunter, but i've I've gone hunting throughout my life. And deer and elk, for example, it's it is so hard to get really close to them. I mean, when you you go with people that do archery, it's you have to get a lot closer than rifle and it, it's a whole different ball game to get that close. They're just so smart and they're so aware of every little thing. Now, when they're in mating season, they're just not thinking at mm-hmm. all logically. And I mean, they'll walk right past you. They'll go right past cars. Like they got one thing on their mind, you yeah. know? And it's interesting when I started to learn about that and see it firsthand hunting, I'm like, man, people are kind of like this too, where I've known people that are they're really intelligent, really emotional intelligent. Like they could see a situation and be like, or a relationship. This is why that one didn't work out and this and this. But then they'll get in a relationship where they are infatuated. And it's like, dude, they would totally see the red, red flags here if it was somebody else. else. But yeah. because they're in it, they're just like blinded by all these things. Yeah. And so I've wondered like, what causes that? Because we're, we're kind of similar as humans, I, I think. And I don't know what causes that.
1: Well... Yeah, we are biological creatures, just like those deer and elk. Yeah. We are wired hard to be attracted to, you know, a mate. And so whether that's physical attraction or emotional attraction, and it sometimes can be emotional or physical neediness too, right? And people get lonely, they get lustful, whatever it is, and they get fired up. And um, those, you said something about how, You know, the animals don't think the same. They're careless. And that's right. I mean, people do the same thing. They don't think the same. It's uh, people start, the brain literally changes a little bit when you shift into pursuit mode. And especially that's true with things like lust, Um, certain doors close and others open in the brain that you shift into, I'm going after that thing. And I don't really think about other stuff. Yeah. But it's similar to like emotional stuff. Like I talked about controlling relationships. If somebody comes at me and they're flattering me and they're telling me how great I am and how beautiful and, and, you know, they can't be without me, that's pretty heady stuff for most people, right? Yeah. And if I'm young and immature, um, there are a lot of people who are going to be like, wow, you know, who can resist that? Yeah. So those are the kind of things that get people in uh, trouble at times.
0: Yeah. Well, you gave great advice, which is just asking really careful or caring and loving questions to make them think because, I'm sure we can all relate to somebody that we know that has just got those blinders on. They're locked in and they're just going deep in this relationship. And everybody's like, dude, he's a total dirtbag!" Like how can they not see it or she or whatever, you know? And so um, I think we can relate to that there. Um, what about the question of far, as far as like, sometimes people are like, you just know, like after you're dating, you, you just know. But then I, I have people that I've known that like, they date for a long time, like a year or two, and they're on and off. And like out to the outsiders, it appear maybe dysfunctional or something, but it ends up working out. And in other times, so I'm. I guess I have more of like this open-minded. Like I don't know if there's one way, but do you do you kind of feel like somebody should
1: know after six months or a year, or that they should, or like what's your thoughts? I yeah, I don't think so necessarily. I don't think okay. there's one way. I you know I talked a little bit earlier about that algorithm of the brain and the body, how people click and figure things out. And that's true for some people, especially they do know quite early on and some people that's great. And it's just all figured out from early on and they, they sort it through others. It takes a while and others, you know, for example, some people are like, this makes sense logically why we should get married. And, and yet I just don't know. Or some people have fears about it, you know, cautious feelings, or they've seen divorces in their parents or others. But it's also true that sometimes um, if you've done your work and things are pretty good and there's no red flags, for some people moving into marriage then creates this new set of, how do I say this? It kind of puts them in a situation where they can grow further and and it's, it's all good. Like they are now committed. There's no more questions of whether this is the right thing or the wrong thing because I'm in it. And so then people just kind of settle in and they they do just fine. That That's not uncommon where um, somebody's up and down for a couple of years and then they're finally like... I just don't see why not, and we both feel okay about it, and we move forward, and it's good. So I would just say it's it's different for everybody. You know, some people it's the head over heels, we're crazy about each other, and some for some people that's too fast, and they miss stuff. And for others, it's a it's a longer process and more of a mind than a heart process, and then heart kind of yeah. comes later. Or, or yeah, and I could see down. that.
0: It's interesting as you're talking, because I'm like, you know, what, I, I can see how some people are more heart. And not enough logic, or some people are too much logic, not yeah. enough heart. And I think it's really probably finding that balance yeah. of both. This is a really uh, big subject. And I loved what you said about this on a different podcast. But the question is if in the dating and courting process with your partner, um, what's your thoughts on disclosing past? your personal past, because you're about to start life together on maybe substance addiction or abuse or financial history or porn addiction or sexual history. What's your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, it's it's the kind of thing where when somebody starts a relationship, you know, you, it starts pretty surface. Who are you? What are you about? What do you do? What, you know, what's your major? What do you work? Um, the more people then are drawn to each other and start spending time together, they let down further boundaries and they get to know each other. You know, what are your values? Tell me about your family. What are your interests? And as people continue to click, they continue to open up more doors to each other. And, you know, whether that's spiritual values or physical connections or whatever. But at some point in most relationships, if it's really going to go all the way and be, uh, you know, marriage or, or that kind of relationship, they're... There's decisions to be made about how much to share. And I think the guiding principle, it's never 100%, but what would I want to know about this person that I'm getting into this intimate relationship? And then that should help me know, then what do I need to share? It doesn't, it doesn't mean you need to share every single thing in your life. Yeah. But for things like pornography is a good example because it's just so common these days. So it, it's not the kind of thing that comes up on a first or second date. Yeah. And research has shown there's pretty big gaps, actually, in terms of, especially with women who are getting to know friends or starting to date guys, they're asked, how much do you think your boyfriend uses porn? They think it's a lot less than it often is. Sure, There's just a gap. There. Sure. And so that that can be a problem if that gap is never addressed as they get more serious, because totally. most people are going to want to know. And I, that is relevant if people are going to get married for most. I mean, maybe there are people who would say, I don't care about that. Most people are going to say, I do care about that. So I would just yeah. say, as you get closer and as you become more intimate, um, those are the kind of dis- conversations that should come up.
0: So one one thing on that, just let's go one more click here, is those guys that probably aren't disclosing all the way, it's probably because there's a fear of losing that person. Absolutely. And so especially like in this area, there may be some more... Um, I, for the lack of better word, extreme views on some things like, oh, I just found this out about this person he's done. yeah. And they may sense that from that person. And so
1: what advice would you give to somebody in that position? Well, for one, it's rarely helpful to make an ultimatum like that, like the one you just described. Like, if I ever find out you've looked up porn, I'm out of here. That's yeah. just not usually helpful because totally. again, it's not the world we live in. Yeah, And I'm not Advocating for porn or whatever, but yeah. I, I'm just saying, I very much agree. There's a lot of people that are going to be affected by. It. I mean, statistics yeah. just bear that out. Most people, especially men, but more and more women are are running into porn or seeking after it. So, um, so for for starters, don't throw out these you know demands or or rigid rules about it. And again, I'm not trying to minimize the challenge of it because some people really feel burned and betrayed totally. by a partners you support. And that yeah. that is real. It's just how you deal with it. It's just how you deal with it. Can we be a team and can we work on this? And even bigger, can the person who's dealing with it, struggling with it, are they taking responsibility for it and are they working? Are they being defensive and minimizing? And I'll just give you one more example. I worked with this guy, good guy, just graduated from college. Um, he has this pretty serious relationship. And he just told me not long, I mean, it took a while into the time that we had been meeting where he said, you know, if I've got to be honest, I actually have a pretty serious issue with porn, like almost daily or every other day. And I said, I'm glad you're talking about it because that's a big step to just be totally honest and say, this is a thing. And it's been a thing in my life for a while. And I said, the, the more serious you get with this woman, and it sounds like it's a healthy relationship and they haven't talked about this yet, then there's going to need to be a conversation at some point, but it... It's better to have a conversation where you're saying, I've had this thing and I've had this struggle, but I'm in a better place with it and I'm really working on it and I'm going to groups and I'm dealing with, you know, it's, it's a, it's a thing that I've worked on and I take responsibility for it. That's a better conversation than the one if you have to say, this is a daily or every other day thing for me and I don't know what to do about it. Like those are two different kinds of conversations, but what that means is that I'm inviting him to step up and say, it's time, it's time for you to just take this seriously, get it under control. And then I think you guys can work on it together. Because if you're not working on it, I would have some pretty big hesitations if I were her getting into
0: marriage. Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask: is where where's that line? At what point where you would advise, like, if it was your daughter dating somebody and he disclosed yeah. that, where you're like, yeah. ah, yeah, I don't know. This may be too much here.
1: Yeah, I would say similar. If if he discloses it, he says, "Look, I, it's it's not something. I, it's not consistent with who I am. It's not what I want to be doing. Therefore, I am." go into groups or I have, you know, set up these accountability kinds of things. And so I'm, I really feel like I'm in a pretty good place with it. Then I would say, great. If you're working on that and you guys feel comfortable together, then I think you're in a good place. Cause you know, marriages and I, I have a couple married kids and, you know, they, they just have to kind of work on those things in their own marriages and step up. But if they're all working on, you know, their lives and the, you know, the conflicts and the differences that they have. Yeah. That's great. If they're not, if they're defensive about them. And that's not a great sign.
0: I love what you said, though. And I think it's just so, so cool uh, about just asking the question of, hey, I've had this problem or I've had this history or whatever. Would you like to know about it? Yeah. And I think that's the whole key right there is that you're just offering. And then it's kind of up to both people, like how detailed you go from there. But in general, I think prevention is a lot easier than cure. And I think if someone would want to know, and they were to get married or move in or whatever, and they find out later, I can see where that can cause big problems because now it's new news to them on the issue. But now they're also maybe dealing with trust, right? And trust is a huge thing, and so it's tough to grow back too. Yeah, I just think that question. Just like, hey, you're you're being upfront, and then I uh, I just really liked your viewpoint on that. That was cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. If somebody's serious and they're like. I really love you and I see us together long-term. We should probably talk a little more about, you know, I had a serious boyfriend in high school or I in yeah. college this. What questions do you have about that? Or what, what should we know? Like, you're right. That's a better conversation to have than five years into marriage. Like, wait, you had this sexual relationship with this person I never knew about it. That's just better to have it figured out up front. Totally. Um, how
0: important do you personally feel that faith or religious views are For both people to have the same views going into marriage.
1: Yeah, it is one of those things for most people that's pretty important. For some, not so much. And so, again, that's just another conversation to have. There are, you know, there are faiths that are more of a we're all in and this is what we do and this is how I raise my kids. And if that's the case, you're going to want to talk about that and probably be as congruent as you can. You know, it's, it's kind of like one of those things, you, you're never going to be fully on the same page, even if you're of the exact same faith. Sure. But the closer you are in most big issues, the easier time you'll have of it. So I think that's an early conversation to have as well.
0: Yeah. I think you bring up a good point because even if you are the same faith, you might have different levels of yeah. dedication towards that. So I don't it really, yeah, how do you
1: enact it? Yeah.
0: I don't really view it as like you are or you aren't because even if you are, I just view it as one big slider, yeah. you know, and it's kind of interesting, but I was looking at some data on the estimated median age of Americans uh, at the time of wedding. So from 1998 to 2021 and the average age of getting married for male and female is just going up. Mm -hmm. I think it was 26 years old for a male, uh, 1998 and 25 for a female. And now it's at 30 and 28 at the time of 2021. So it spanned, you know, three to four years
1: over the last 20 years. Um, What's your thoughts on that? I think there's a combination of a lot of cultural things. One is that people are um, sort of anxious about the whole level of commitment that it, that's involved in a relationship. And some of that's justified, like we talked about. You should be thoughtful and careful. Some of that is probably over-anxiety at times. Um, and I certainly see that at times with people being like, I just don't know if he or she is perfect, and I'm waiting, and people wait and wait and wait. And, and, you, and if, if that's your version that you're so anxious about, exact fit, You're gonna have a hard time because you'll never find it exactly sure so there's that there's kind of the stress of just we're aware of relationships and how hard they're there also i think is um a culture these days of just a lot of challenges and negative influences and social media and other stuff that kind of slows people down a little bit there's there's more stress and anxiety just generally in the world and so you hear this phrase like of adulting or it takes longer to kind of grow up these days. Like people in their 20s are sometimes still yeah back and forth at home or, or dropping out of college and then getting back into it. It's maybe less clear cut than it used to be a few decades ago in terms of when, you do, when you're when you 18, you do this. When you're 23, you do this. When you're 26, you're doing this. It's just kind of messier. Uh, and some of that is just cultural stress. There's a lot of addictive kind of things out there, pornography, video games, things that kind of get in the way sometimes of growing up, the, if the economy is up and down, you know what I mean? Just stuff yeah. like that. So I, I just think the norms have shifted a little bit that way. Kind of transitioning into to marriage, and particularly the first year of marriage,
0: what's happening in the first year of marriage compared to somebody that's been married 10, 20 years? And do you have a different advice set or like foundational things that somebody should be really going through in their first year or two compared to if they've been married for a while?
1: Well, hopefully, in a healthy situation, they've already gotten to know each other well, and they kind of are ready to make a transition into marriage. If they haven't, there's going to be some bumps there where they're just figuring out, wait, this is what it's like, or this is how you spend money, or this is how you know what how you spend your time, or you still want to be hanging out with your bro friends all the time. But I thought we were married, so there's some some of those kind of bumps that happen yeah. early on. Compared to later marriage, though. In healthy situations, people sort through that stuff in their first few years, and they start to learn that balance of independence versus interdependence. You know, let's let's plan on a date every week, but then if you want to go out to your book club or go rock climbing with your friends, we balance that. And people become, they kind of figure it out. They get closer in that sense over time. They, they become a little more at ease with each other. They... Um, there's sort of this sense of letting things go that don't really matter that healthy couples get better at. Uh, you know, in other words, he's just having a bad day. It's not about me. I'm not going to worry about it. I'll just give him some space and we'll talk tomorrow. Like, like couples that have been around for a few years are typically better at that kind of thing, if they've worked on it and if they've kind of just gotten to know each other and been flexible. Yeah. So, the, you know, the less healthy couples, they, they kind of get annoyed with and become... They kind of develop bad habits of just like saying rude things or becoming defensive. And then that can sometimes kind of harden into uh, annoyed roommates as opposed to a closer couple. So again, it just depends on how the level of willingness of both partners. Is there anything that you notice that
0: young couples get as advice? Uh, Going into marriage that is usually like not good advice, but maybe it's (laughs) commonly accepted as good advice
1: culturally or that people just say. The only thing I would say is you sometimes hear the advice, maybe not as much anymore, but like don't ever go to bed mad. Um, And I am not sure that's great advice because sometimes you just need some time and space to sort things out. You need to just go to bed. You need to give some some time to reflect because people just get irritated. They get burned out. People get stressed from work or from kids or from just whatever it is. And then they start to take it out on each other or they can. And they look at each other and one person does something small and the other person snaps. It's not really fair because it's not really about the other person or maybe a little bit of it is, but most of it's just about one person's bad day. So anyway, sometimes I think you have to take a little time to just let the dust settle, figure out what's going on? Why am I in a bad mood? Do I need to go have a sandwich? Do I need to just take a walk? Yeah. That's, that's one thing I would, I would totally agree with
0: you and disagree with that advice is there's been so many times where it's the end of the day and after work and fighting kids and doing the routine, it's like we're one, we're already exhausted and now we're just going to get ourselves more exhausted. And when we're really exhausted, we're not at our best. And then we're just, you know what I mean? And then I've gone to sleep and I've woken up and I, where I was overwhelmed before or just so tired. I just feel like renewed and it's all good and it's it's gone. And so, yeah,
1: yeah, I just, I think sometimes you just need time. So, yeah. Would you, would you ask somebody to take on a really tricky work issue that's going to take a lot of emotional and cognitive energy? Would you ask them to do that at 11 o'clock at night when they're burned out and tired? Yeah, no, no, you. That's what a relation, I mean, some of these relationship things are tricky and yeah. you have to really own your stuff and be mature and patient. You got to be in a good place to do that. Totally. That's why,
0: um, and it's probably different for everybody, but what we've learned sometimes is if if, if we're in a fight or, and it's just not going anywhere, sometimes it's better just to take a break and like yeah. reconvene later. Yeah. Because um, there's probably a reason that you're not seeing progress or something like that, right? And yep. so that's why I'm more of a fan of taking a break sometimes, but I know others that really pisses people off where they're like, no, we're finishing this thing, we're
1: going through it right yeah. now. Right. What do you think there? Yeah, so it's a, it's a, you bring up a really important point, which is if you're going to take a break, we have what we call a negotiated timeout. And we talk about it with domestic violence because, of course, one of the problems with violence is people get so amped up and dysregulated emotionally. They, they can't control themselves and they're stomping around or they're pushing, slapping or worse, right? It, it can get really ugly. You have to figure out a way to take a break, calm yourself down, get into a better place, but then come back... To deal with it because what happens is it is annoying to someone if they're just like, dude, you can't just be like, I'm not talking about this and slam the door and leave. That's not cool. There has to be this willingness to talk about it, but do it in a in a time and place where you're both in a good space. So so back to negotiated timeout. What that means is if we're getting amped up, we both have already agreed that we will take a timeout, but we will come back in half an hour or an hour or whatever we negotiate, right? That's our That's our version. And then we say, okay, are we ready to talk or are we ready to take another time out or are we ready to dismiss the whole thing or are we going to, you know, do something different? And and so that's the negotiated part because there's this pattern that happens in relationship and we call it like pursue and withdraw where one person's like, yeah, we got to talk about this. You can't just, you know, like you said, it makes him mad to be like, you can't just slam the door on me or leave. Sure. And the other one's like, I'm overwhelmed. I'm withdrawing. You're, you're in my face. You, you're you pinning me down in the corner. And so they leave or they just shut down or whatever. And then the other person gets more upset because they're like, you're just shutting me out. And then the other one gets more withdrawn. And it's a bad cycle. So anyway, you just have to figure out a way to one person give a little more more space and the other person to engage. yeah, And um, have the conversation if it needs to be had, but do it in a time where it's constructive and not destructive. One of the
0: many things that I was really excited about to talk to you uh, is unhealthy relationships and seeing that your research was really focused on unhealthy relationships. I have just found in my life that it's good to study about what successful people are doing in different areas, but it's also really good to learn from problems people have had. And in psychology, you learn, you know, oftentimes we're more motivated by fear than pleasure. And so I think this is something, a really cool aspect that you bring is,
1: what what does an unhealthy relationship look like? In the research project, uh, we've, we've seen a lot of things that people describe as healthy and unhealthy. And, and what we're finding is, is that a lot of these are on a continuum from the healthy version to the unhealthy version. So, as an example, an unhealthy relationship might have a lot of defensiveness or a lack of accountability. Somebody who's just making excuses all the time or they're not willing to apologize for something that they've done. Whereas on the, the healthy side of that, they have... They take accountability. They're responsible. They say they say things like, I shouldn't have said what I did. I was in a bad place. I'm sorry for that. You know, like how can kind I of make that better? So that's one. There's another one that would be like dishonesty versus honesty. Pretty straightforward stuff, right? But it's surprising how often people become evasive in relationships. They yeah. exaggerate. They minimize. They they distort what the other person said or did, or they they claim some, you know, and in in more severe versions, they They lie about, you know, things like being unfaithful or addictions or they have an eating disorder that they're not just going, you know, I mean, there's their deception is one of those other patterns. Uh, Another one, we could just call this aggression or cruelty. People in unhealthy relationships are more likely to say hurtful things as simple as that. They're just meaner. They just sometimes say things that you don't ever see in a respectful relationship. And, you know, all relationships have some variation you know sometimes somebody might snap and say something that's kind of rude but um it's surprising how in there are people who would never say to a friend or a co-worker like a really hurtful and cutting remark but they will say it in their relationship sure it does a lot of damage yeah. so disrespectful contemptuous you know snide remarks sarcastic remarks Things like that. I like that rule of thumb. Like in general, if you wouldn't say it to a friend or a coworker, you probably shouldn't say it to your partner. Still surprises me how often I hear people say things that into, in in their marriage, for example, that they would never say to someone else. I
0: think a lot more people have been here than would probably admit, but whether it's a consistent thought of like, should I get divorced? Or you get into a really big fight and in the moment you're like, man, is this going to work or not? Right. And so for you, what has been your advice on where's the line to, okay, it's actually better if this couple figures out how to part versus to figure it out and stay
1: together? Yeah, that's a it's a good question. And it's a difficult one because it it's very much case by case. But if a relationship is not, if it's damaging for starters, if it has those kinds of aspects that I talked about, like Somebody's being cruel to another person. Sometimes it's both partners, but sometimes it's one. You know, kind of controlling or or being cruel to the other. If and if that other person is not willing to be responsible for their damaging actions, if there's defensiveness and excuses, you're not going to see change. And so that's a red flag as well. Like if somebody, if somebody is is not willing to own up to their stuff, and if they're being hurtful, if they're being damaging, if they are being abusive. And it's destructive to, you know, the dignity of the other person. You want to be talking seriously about whether this is a viable relationship. And I've seen those kinds of relationships change, but to change an unhealthy and abusive relationship, it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of accountability. And you want to see that over time. Sometimes people say that, you know, can, can he change? Can this change? And it's not just men who are abusive, but, um, but a person who is doing damage to another person must own that see it feel bad for it and then work on it and they have to do that over a long period of time like six months to a year
0: yeah what is there any percentage because i i i love reading about psychology and i know like human behavior and change is really hard stuff yeah is there like a percentage or something on how many people actually can change in those really unhealthy characteristics that you're describing
1: yeah, I don't know if that's a good question about percentage. I would just say I have seen people change, and I have seen people really step up and say, I was doing some things that were really problematic. I had a raging addiction. I was having affairs, and or I have been cruel and even violent. I have seen those people say, I need to go to an intervention program. I need to go to a group. I need to go to therapy. I need to really do this work. It can happen, but I would say it's more the exception than the rule When you're talking about that level of stuff so it's hard but it's possible and a lot
0: of what we're talking about in in unhealthy relationships is conflict and different kinds of conflict but i don't think conflict is a bad word i actually think conflict is a paradox that to have a healthy relationship you're going to need conflict as well right because it's that resistance that usually builds the strength yeah
1: but what's your view on that i would agree and i would say conflict isn't good or bad. It just is. Like you have, you have two different people. You have conflict because you are going to bump up against when I go to Walmart, what groceries do I buy? If my wife goes, she's going to buy different stuff. We're just different people. For sure. The guy's buying different things at Glasgow than the the gorillas. Or how often, you know, does one person want to have sex or, you know, versus the other. In all categories, right? Conflict. yeah. Yeah. Or how do I, how do I deal with my toddler that's screaming in church? How do I, you know, uh, clean the house. It's super common, right? How do I decorate the house? You know, that, yeah. there's always going to be conflict. So, like you say, it can be a source of growth if I'm open to those discussions and I say, "Oh, I hadn't thought about that, and I hadn't realized that I was being kind of pushy or self-centered in that way." And now I'm, I'm, I'm learning, and I'm saying, "I need to work on that, and I yeah. need to be more open." But if I don't then conflict can turn ugly and damaging. If I get aggressive and if I get defensive and if I say, well, you're just stupid or why do you got to be so bipolar? Like that's doing damage. Yeah. But if I say, yeah, no, you're right. Let's, let's compromise. Let's kind of hear each other out. And maybe this time we can do it this way and that time we do it that way, or let's come back to it. You can grow. So we talked about unhealthy
0: relationships. Let's talk about healthy relationships. What do those look like?
1: Kind of those things I was saying earlier, which is the opposite of, you know, the defensiveness somebody that's accountable, somebody that's mature, somebody that's honest. Uh, and accountability means like, again, I'm open to learning. Um, there's a sense of commitment is one we didn't talk about as much. but um, in most intimate relationships, people want to have this sense of exclusivity. like I'm committed to you. We are we don't badmouth each other. We're committed intimately. I don't have affairs emotionally, physically. That kind of thing, like, you know, we just, we have each other's backs. Um, I give you freedom to be who you want to be. I don't try to impose my opinions and tell you how to feel. And so that's another one of those spectrums from control to freedom, right? Like, just uh, can we each be ourselves and be our best version? Can we be supportive of each other in that way? Or am I threatened by your differences? Does Does it bother me that you want to, you know, have... This in the house, or 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 you want to watch that show, or do I get kind of like, why would you say that? Why would that be your hobby, or am I like, hey, that's you, that's great? Those are some of the differences.
0: Is there any um, indicators that you could predict a healthier relationship?
1: Um, yeah, so like, there's research that shows that certain things are predictors of divorce. For example, we talked about defensiveness, you know, that unwillingness to own your actions or your feelings like if i'm always making excuses if i'm always, if i'm not willing to listen to your concerns um we talked about being mean and that includes things like contempt which is this sense of disgust or um kind of looking down on the other person saying rude things to them uh criticism is a predictor of divorce and so is that withdrawal like i just am not willing to engage so So I say that because the the opposite version of that are the kinds of things that are good indicators, which are things like, I'm willing to engage with conversation with you. I'm open to hearing your view. I'm kind and respectful. I give you freedom. Those are all some of the good indicators that you would look for.
0: What about, because I thought this was pretty fascinating, but the Gottman ratio.
1: Yeah. I feel like
0: that could be a good rule of thumb that somebody could take away from the podcast right away of. Yeah what is my ratio? And what the ratio is, there should be five positive interactions for every one negative interaction.
1: And it, if that ratio is there, that's a healthy relationship? It's healthy. It's certainly important. Gottman, some, some of the stuff I was just mentioning was, were things from Gottman's research yeah. where he has watched people that survive relationships and those that don't. But yeah, Gottman also found that the relationships that survive have at least five good things going on for every one bad thing. And that's not always easy to quantify because... You can have one bad thing. And if it's a really bad thing, it might override everything else. If there's some big affair or if somebody you know, is physically abusive, if somebody's putting those kind of bad things into a relationship, you can have a lot of other good things. And that's a, that's too bad of a bad thing. But in general, yeah, there's got to be, we enjoy each other. We're hanging out. We're having fun together. We're connecting emotionally, physically. And then sometimes we bump up against these annoyances or these challenges but if those are less often than the good things, at least by the ratio of yeah. five to one, you're probably going to be okay. But you need to be getting those good things into your relationship. And that's another takeaway is, you know, I was just talking to a couple the other day and they, they've they worked through some tough stuff, including some infidelity and some other things. They're at a good place, but they're just kind of flat. And I said, are you guys having fun together like you used to when you were a new new couple? And they said, that's a good question. We used to be kind of adventurous and we would, you know, go camping or climbing and I said, you can't just have a relationship that's based on talking about the relationship. And that's kind of what they do a lot. They have a lot of these heavy conversations, like, how are we doing it? And that's not surprising given the stuff they've come through. But I sure. but I said, you've got to also get back to the place where you're just enjoying being around each other and you're, you know, you're at ease with each other. You're going and doing something fun together. You're dating and you're not talking about concerns or just even the relationship at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting, uh, I think it's helpful for two reasons. One, sometimes I've spoke with people that, that I work with and they're like, hey, we had this really bad fight. And it's like, there's probably no way to avoid conflict. Yeah. I mean, to come together and to work through finances and sex and kids and religion and work, like mm-hmm. there's just some big stuff. So a lot. Like, there's going to be some fights. And on the other side though, if somebody was having five bad interactions for every one good at interaction, they could probably say, look, this isn't healthy. Yeah. You got to start looking for some help here, right? Yep. yep. Agreed. Um, Okay. One one thing I want to ask about is what's the best way to communicate if you're feeling hurt and you
1: need to express your truth on how you feel, but you're also, you don't want to offend. Yeah. It's important because that does happen, right? We get, we get times where we feel unheard or we feel frustrated or we feel like something happened that really bugs us. And you should be able to talk about those things in a relationship. doesn't mean you need to talk about every little annoyance, but you should be able to bring a concern up. This There's a there's a Gottman thing here too that he found, which is he calls it the soft startup, which means if I want to bring a concern in, I need to do it in a soft way and say, there's something I want to talk to you about. I love you. I, I don't want this to be, a th- I don't want us to fight. I just want us to be able to talk this through. That's a different startup than coming in and saying, I'm just so freaking annoyed with you these days, and you're selfish. Sure. blah blah blah. You know, whatever. Okay. If you coming in with guns blazing, instantly people's defenses go up. Physiologically, they get you know wired. Their heart rate goes up. High so, end. so that's one thing is just to kind of set it up in a good way. Another thing is to be open and honest about your experience of it, as opposed to being blaming and name calling, like. There's another interesting research project where a guy studied just the conversations that happened between spouses. And he said, there's one word, the more it comes up, the less healthy of the relationship. And the word is you, right? This, because when people are saying you did this, you are so annoying. You never think about me. Those are, those That's are, really those are blaming statements. Those are kind of aggressive statements. Better to say, I have felt hurt. I've, I was concerned when we had talked about how our kid needs to eat healthier. And then I heard you downstairs giving, giving him sodas and cookies behind my back. That bothered me. Like that's a different thing than to be like, you are so, you don't care about me. You know, that, you know, those are different kinds of statements yeah. and, and the difference is a little bit subtle, but it makes, it's yeah. makes a big uh, difference. That's cool. That's a r- tangible tool. Yeah. yeah.
0: Focus on I instead of you. I, yep. I really like that. I thought this would be helpful to say, look, here's some habits that I can see that successful couples are doing. And here's some habits that I can see that unsuccessful couples are doing. Is there any that you can identify on either way? Maybe more than a tool, but like a habit that they consistently do over and over and over.
1: I would go back to a lot of the things we've talked about in terms of the healthy versus unhealthy characteristics. Healthy couples, for starters, healthy couples are respectful as opposed to just snide and rude. They're honest and, and they are, you know, saying what's accurate. They're trying to be accurate when they interact together. They're not trying to misrepresent or evade or, you know, dodge like, like a dishonest person might be. They are responding to each other positively. It's a, it's another, uh, Gottman has a lot of these little things that he's found, he, he calls them bids, which are the healthy couples. Respond to the other person when one says something that is just what he calls a bid, which it might be as simple as, like, wow, it's a nice day today. A healthy couple responds to that with something that's positive positive. and they say, yeah, I've, it's been nice. Unhealthy couples sometimes ignore it or they are sort of like, oh, duh. You know, they say things that are a little bit rude or just ignoring. And there's a big difference between couples that survive and those that don't. It's like a 90%, couples that are doing well, about 90% of their bids are responded to in a positive way and again these are just little things but you kind of see some people are just naturally better at this either they had better examples or just interpersonally they're they're pretty good at just being kind my wife is really good about this kind of thing you know she'll just when she sees me she's friendly saying hey honey you know just friendly things and couples that don't survive only about 30% of their bids are responded to in a positive way there's a lot of ignoring or just sort of maybe an eye roll or just they're just dinking around on their phone or they say something obnoxious. So there has to be just all these little positive connectors that make a relationship strong. There's just like thousands of these little threads that connect people together.
0: Yeah. In
1: closing, just one
0: more question. I was reading this report and it was the reasons that caused divorce. And this report had money at the top. Is so The question is kind of twofold do you see money being one of the bigger ones? And then two would be, what are maybe the top two or three subjects
1: that cause the most conflict? Yeah. I would say a couple of things on that. It's not the money that's causing the divorce, although I know it it feels that way and it's framed that way. It's that money is a is an area where everybody's going to have differences. And so it's easy to get kind of sideways with each other about the differences with money because it's a it's a high intensity topic how you use money symbolizes a whole lot of other things your values your priorities what you you know what you agree on so so i would say it comes back to those areas like money um, sex housework parenting you will hear those come up a lot in reports like the one you just mentioned and that the reason is simply just because those are the areas where people had tend to have a lot of differences and that those are the areas that people have a harder time working through those differences. But again, if people can be respectful and if they can hear each other out, they're going to be okay. If they get disrespectful and snide and defensive, that's where money is causing a, yeah. a problem for sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, Jason,
0: thanks so much for coming on. There's some really cool tips and tricks that I'm excited to implement too that I, I hadn't heard before. So thank you.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. It's good to, good to hear what you guys are doing here. This is good work. Cool. Thank you.